and welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vanderwerf, the I, and I think you're interesting. I watch both Walking Dead shows even when I don't like them. It's just this thing about the vibe of both series, of, you know, the end of the world, of, of zombies surrounding you. It just, it speaks to something that I always find compelling to watch and to think about, and especially as sort of we're living in this particular time in history. Fear the Walking Dead, the, the second Walking Dead show, which is set kind of in and around the American-Mexican border, has become a weirdly prescient, weirdly relevant, weirdly compelling show. And a lot of that is thanks to the show's amazing cast. Every actor in this show is perfectly chosen. And if you've ever gone to the set, as I have, they really get along. They have a kind of a good time just, just working together. So I, I, I had a few members of the cast come in today, and we're going to talk to them. My guests this week are three of the cast members of Fear the Walking Dead. I have with me uh, Kim Dickens, who plays Madison, Frank, who plays Nick, and Coleman Domingo, who plays Strand. Hey, good to have you folks. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, mate. I was uh, had the pleasure of being on set in the middle of season two, uh, and I got to see all of you work. Uh, and in particular, I saw Coleman and Kim. You did this like very meaty dialogue scene, and then I came back a couple hours later, and you were like fighting zombies. Um, <laughs> and so you got t- kind of the two sides of the show, which is you know these scenes of like just people talking, and then also the choreographed almost the dance of yeah. like fighting, of half, like, half fighting as a, action, half yeah. as a procedural, half as a apocalypse now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you, you know? Do you have a do you have a preference for one side or the other, or do they like fill different needs in your your acting soul? Mm. I think that was sort of a perfect combination, specifically because the pages of dialogue between Madison and Strand was so full of of backstory and emotion and confession. Mm -hmm. And then we proceeded to get drunk through it. The characters did. And so it was just a lot of meaty stuff to play. And then, of course, we got to top it all off by, you know, being badasses and killing zombies. I think in many ways it's an actor's dream. It's like yeah. we, we get to do the the in-depth emotional work, uh, really peel away layers with each other, really play off of one another, and then we get to do some badass, you know, kick-ass Yeah, we were throwing, work. we were smashing people with chairs and throwing <laughs> bottles. I mean, we get to pretend the heck out of it, you know? Yeah, and then gore up. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Are you at a place in the show now where three seasons in you kind of have a shorthand with like the fight choreographers or is it something new kind of every week when you're doing those sorts of stunts? Any of you can answer that. Well, it's cool. Anytime we have these stunts, you know, they'll call us in for some choreography and then of course they want to help you make it personal as well. So Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, this makes sense for my character in this moment and you can discuss that. So it's all, it all ebbs and flows, but I think we do, they know your strengths Mm -hmm. in many ways. They know what you, you're capable of and, um, and also they even challenge you even a little further, Mm -hmm. which is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we well, James and Jack are our stunt guys, but we often have so much stuff to do mm-hmm. that it can be quite lucid stunts. Like Alicia smacked someone in the head the other day. It's all like <laughs> what, what it's all the- like so loose and open. They don't have yeah. much time to chore- do like proper. Chore- I mean, obviously, this stuff is choreographed. Do you so remember like when you whacked me in the head with the crowbar? Yes, I do Frank remember Delaine. that. Yeah. Yes. Remember that? Was that was the first day, wasn't it? Wasn't that the first day we yeah, were, mother and son were back to back fighting the zombies and I was like, ow. <laughs> well, that's what you I could mean, hear yeah. it too. It was like thwack. <laughs> <laughs> it was a rubber, but we laughed. It was fun. Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, so it does get loose and free, but we do rehearse all the stunts yeah. and you have to be very lucid about it because you because it is, uh, 
it is a dance and it's and it can easily get hurt, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To to me, like season three is kind of a, a sweet spot for a TV show where you're not yet one hundred percent sick of it. But where for an actor, like where you're not, but you do have this like real history with the character. You do have this real understanding of, of what's happening. And I'm wondering, um, as you've gotten deeper into the show, like what have you been uh, most surprised by or what have you been most interested in learning about either your character or working within the world of the series? I was just actually thinking the other day, and I'm always joking to Kim every so often. I say, remember I used to be in a Ralph Lauren suit? (laughs) But because I really think about it, I'm like, I signed on for a show. I didn't know the depth of how, I didn't understand the genre. I didn't know how much we'd change and adapt or the stunt work. But I know I was on board for, I was like, oh, it's a very interesting character. And I love the way, you know, he's a well well-dressed, a self-made man, well-dressed, et cetera, et cetera, very articulate. And then I didn't I didn't know that he would, you know, there would be some deconstruction, there would be some shifts and changes, and then the things that we do, at some point, there's an episode, we're crawling around and doing these crazy things, and I thought, wow, did I know that this is what, what was going to happen? No, but I'm game. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm even more excited. And I think that, that that's a joy. I think so. I've been surprised constantly mm-hmm. how, how our characters are evolving or, or, or like the idea that we were on a boat last season. I didn't see that coming. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, I knew I said, there's the Abigail. I didn't know we we're going to be on a boat half the season. And all the things you get to learn. You know, get to learn. I mean, even if it's just like the idea that I'm commandeering a, a yacht, I had to go and get yacht training just to understand it. So once again, all those things that you get to learn as an actor, you're like, I had no idea I ever learned these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, each story, each script that comes out, I feel like I'm surprised where the story goes. And for, for us in this genre, it's been very exciting how, how far and wide you can travel with story and character development and evolution. And, you know, I was prepared going into third season by the showrunner calling me and saying, be prepared to go dark. So, mm. you know, it's a whole darker, different, merciless character this season, which is it's fun to dig into. We are kind of seeing that character uh, evolve from, I mean, she starts as a high school guidance counselor. Um, mm-hmm. and she's sort of, she's heading in the direction of, you know, um, someone who's like really merciless, like you said. Um, I, I the, the word that keeps coming to mind is apocalypse now, which is like not right, but sort of that vibe of like humanity is slowly being stripped away. And I'm wondering, um, did you, how much of that did you know when you signed on and how much of it has come up as you've been playing this character for those uh, three years? When I think back about, you know, when I got the pilot and got the show, I didn't, I realized I didn't really know where it would travel, you know, but I just knew there was so much potential and the character was already so three-dimensional and complex and flawed that it was exciting to jump into it. So I've been, you know, pleasantly surprised with everything we have to do. And, um, you know, the the character is is finding her way to, to a sort of a destiny as a leader, I think. And it's not for chumps. I say that about a lot of what we do, but it's for this character, it's, you know, to get to this positive end that she's looking for means that she has to be willing to exchange some morals mm-hmm. in her means to that end. And that, that takes a certain personality type. Mm-hmm. Well, you're all actors who have really different backgrounds um, and have had re- done really great work in a variety of, of media. What is it about a role when you see it on the page that really draws you to it? Like what when you see a role, what what makes you say that is something I really want to play? Well, I don't know. I have, I'm, I have a theory that your roles choose you because mm-hmm. you don't necessarily certain roles choose you and some don't choose you. So uh, good writing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. When I wrote, I was just really good writing this this first the first episodes and the first certainly my audition tape was. I just liked the writing. I liked the genre somehow. 
it makes everything um, quite high stakes. I guess if it's relevant, that was always my thing. Mm-hmm. I'd quite like to be helpful to my generation in some sense, or it be at least a part of it as, well, an artist, I use that term with sort of a bit of sick in my mouth. But like, and zombies and the apocalypse is definitely something that is um, um, potent at the moment. Mm-hmm. So that was, it's, if it's relevant, I suppose, or if it mm-hmm. speaks to me. Coleman, what are you looking for when you when you look at roles? I'm constantly looking for something I think that uh, I know is going to challenge me, something that I don't think that I know how to handle very easily. Mm. I think if I, I think there are roles that I feel like, oh, I understand that, I get that, that I'm not as drawn to. Even like this genre, this character, I think there are many things about it that sort of scared me and I didn't, I didn't really know. Mm. But I was game because I knew it would teach me something else, whether it's about myself or it's about process or you know this is my first television series truly I've done one before but it's like a sketch comedy show Mm -hmm. but this one I thought this is a whole new challenge for me I'm really happy with it so I look for things like that and I also look at things that I've never done before you know Mm -hmm. something that's not going to be easy yeah yeah uh Kim what are are you looking for I think it's it's material that that resonates with me emotionally Mm -hmm. and I think you know I like television and I like film because I like stories that make me feel a part of something mm-hmm. less alone if yeah. you will and mm. um so i usually if it's something that just resonates emotionally and that could be mm-hmm. obviously through writing and stuff and it can be any of the mediums indie film yeah yeah you've all mentioned in, in very sort of various answers that you're looking for things that are a challenge or that kind of scare you or something like that and i think um, in myself like sometimes when i see uh, something i'm going to write that terrifies me or even doing this podcast like kind of terrified me for yeah. a while i had to like encourage that aspect of myself to be like embrace what scared me and i'm wondering how you guys found a way to like get to a place where um you were excited by something that you were a little terrified of as opposed to running away from it as i think most of us I, I think i think you also i think what i love about our craft and what we do is it in a it's a collaboration and it involves so many other people and so i think if you take it a out of your own mind that it's about you and you say, you know, I have to show up and be there for that other person or like, okay, let me just, I can do my work, but I have to let Frank or, or Kim inform mm-hmm. these choices. Then you're, 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 you're sailing, smooth sailing because mm-hmm. you're, you're not, you're not lifting it, the heavy lifting by yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the joy of it. So I feel like that's the stuff that keeps you from being terrified. You're like, you know what? I can, I only have this part, mm-hmm. you know, and, but but I'm looking forward to seeing how is this person going to change what I'm bringing, you know? Mm-hmm. Excellent. You guys filmed this show in Mexico, um, or you did, and you have in season two and season three. I think you were in Canada in season one. Yeah. What does that bring to what, what you're doing? Because you use locations and places that are like nothing else on television. They're very <laughs> cinematic. Um, what have you enjoyed about working there, and like what has that brought to your work? Uh. Well, they have a whole different sort of relationship to death, Mexico. Like, I was quite interested in the, yeah, they've got, I mean, obviously the day and day of the dead stuff, but they don't, they don't see death as such a sort of, I mean, here in America and in England as well, we're sort of terrified of death or like going old. That's why we're all so sort of, uh, we'd like resist it as a philosophy. But in Mexico, they really do embrace it and there's skulls everywhere. And so for me, it was like, that was what was really interesting to me to be doing a sort of show about death in a culture that celebrates death Mm. and there's lots of poetry around it and lots of songs and like their folk 
history and they're like if you sit in a karaoke bar and you read what they're singing mm-hmm. you know if you which i do all the time you know <laughs> if you're in tijuana and you're you know in some place and you see the like it's all death and and love and all of that stuff so that's why i i was i loved that about mexico this mm-hmm. gore horror horror culture we have the most exceptional landscape i think now has become its own character in the show you know we have the rural areas the city mm-hmm. the Ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think just being there, I think it, it means a lot for us to be there right now. Mm-hmm. I think especially as we're dealing with, uh, you know, relation, relations with Mexico and America. And just, I think if anyone just watched our show being put together and the, the talented team and the generosity of spirit and uh, these cultures coming together to create something bigger than themselves, hopefully. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone just, it's about art and creating this great story. And so we will, you know, we've had some hiccups to try to like, and I'm sure we we constantly still will of like, how do we relate to one another? How do we respond to one another? But I think that we have really come together to create something beautiful. Mm. And um, and everyone gives, you know, Mexico is just awesome. And mm. I love, I've, I've been loving just, you know, experiencing living there and being there and getting to know people open up their homes and their hearts and the food and things that you never imagined. Once again, it's like all the things that you... You thought, like, oh, I just thought Mexico was tacos and, and tequila. Turns and out there's burritos this, as well. It turns out there's burritos <laughs> and there's Baja Med cuisine and there's, you know, wine country and there's uh, things that change you. Yeah. 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 Kim, what have you liked about working in, in Mexico? For me, it's like I never imagined I'd spend this much time in another country. And uh, and it's been great to sort of – I. I love going back there. Like, I, we get to come home quite a bit to L.A. because it's a three-hour drive. But I love going back there. I love I love staying and living on the ocean and hearing the waves. And as far as the show goes, I mean, we, we started our show as a very diverse show. And for me, it just feels like it, it's maintained that as far as cultures coming together. And also, like you said, terrain. It's like we have everything that just we just utilize everything about Mexico mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's totally given so much to our show. Yeah. I hope mm-hmm. we stay there. Mm-hmm. If you listen to my conversation with Damon Lindelof, you know that one of the first things I did when I moved to Los Angeles was I went to a presentation by Joss Whedon. I was really excited because I have been a huge fan of the man and his work and especially his shows, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly. And it's one of those things where if Joss Whedon is giving a talk, I will try to show up at it. And now Viacom's new podcast fan club is exactly about that. It's about being a fan. It's about the future of fandom. It's about, you know, all those things about what it means to love something. It's brought to you by Viacom, home of MTV, Comedy Central, BET, Nickelodeon, and Paramount. And it's hosted by Ross Martin. Fan club is about why we love what we love. And in every episode, fan club focuses on a different aspect of what it means to be a fan by talking to some of the smartest people in entertainment across music, food, fashion, art, and media. Guests include Charlemagne the God, Tom Colicchio, and many more. This week's episode, Ross will talk with the great Shepard Fairley about how he got his start and with Swizz Beats about how he shook up the art world. You can listen now by subscribing to Fan Club on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find it at vbyviacom.com slash fan club. There's a location, I, I actually don't know if, uh, when this episode is going but there's a location in episode three that, that coleman goes to it looks like the back of a dam or something i it's uh toward the end of the episode and i'm wondering like some of these 
really like weird locations that I've never seen anything like it on TV. Like, is it is it hard to get there, or is it sometimes just like in the middle of in the middle of a town somewhere or something like that? Sometimes they're all right? hard they're to all get to. <laughs> <laughs> you have to off the, the road roads to are, yeah. get to everything. <laughs> yes, <laughs> bit of a slap in the face. But you get there and you're like, what? <laughs> you're like, what? This exists and we can shoot here. Yeah. <laughs> We're always amazed. Uh, what's 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 a place that you've had, that, I guess that you've gone to that has been particularly out of the way that you were just blown away by? Well, we've been shooting on this magical, beautiful ranch most of the season. Mm-hmm. And it's just a bitch to get to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at five in the morning, you're going over about 10, 15 minutes of off-roading it and not in a four-wheel drive vehicle. You're in like an old van to get there. So everyone gets out in the morning a little nauseous. And then at the end of your 15-hour day, you get back in the van and go back home that way. <laughs> But you know what? We're all in it together, and we're and we're having a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coleman and Frank, especially, you have been through periods on the show where you've been kind of in your own show, if you will. Like you've been off without some of the other characters following your own storylines, and that's kind of a hallmark of of the whole Walking Dead franchise. Both shows do that in different ways. What's it like to be in a show within the show? When those episodes happen, I guess I know when, when that happened for me. It was it's exhausting. First of all, it's like because you're main t- it's like your own film in a way and uh like kim said it's not for chumps yeah yeah the rest of us get a break and you're, like, <laughs> you're like oh my you have God. a forced call every day <laughs> exactly i have like three or four forced calls in a week but it's uh it's exciting because you just get to you still are wondering what, it, what what's going on with your comrades and mm-hmm. it is kind of odd you know this season a lot of times we're separated from each other uh, which is why we all made the choice to make sure we still lived in the same sort of compound because we, we become very close and we become a family. So it's really wild how it echoes how you're actually feeling when you feel like alone and lonely. And I had this one scene, it was nighttime and going back to this location that we not only spent so much time as a company with so much joy, but it was now decimated. I felt really, not only the character, I felt really out of sorts. Mm. You know, I just felt like... It was happening on two levels, which is wild. So uh, sometimes it's a little taxing. And, you know, I like to I like these guys because we laugh a lot and we're pretty silly and tell great stories. And, mm-hmm. you know, Frank calls me, you know, odd names at times. But I love <laughs> you know, them. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, no, I agree with Coleman. Same sort of thing. I, I just always miss, I always miss Kim when it, Kim's not around. Because if Kim's around, you know that. You can just sort of stand stand there. And what did you say the other day? You're like, because yeah, she's the leader. You come right. and you're like, oh, good. Kim's good. in. Thank God Kim's in. I, I get right. to sit back today. Sit over there. She's about to hit somebody <laughs> over there. over there and look pretty now. <laughs> My character will be sitting on this uh, chair. <laughs> That's the reason he misses me. I, I got tender for a moment, and then I realized it was just because he didn't want to work. <laughs> well, that relationship between Nick and Madison has been such an integral part of the show. They're, even when they're apart, they're like sort of constantly thinking about each other, even if they hate each other. Mm-hmm. Building that relationship, as I think probably you had not met before you did the show, what, building it from the ground up, talk, talk me through the process of how you do that as an actor. You know, we, we did, we met at the rehearsals, didn't we? Just the yeah. first, that's when we all met. And um, I have to give, you know, hats off to the showrunner, Dave Erickson, and Adam Davidson, the original uh, director, and... Um, the casting director, because I I was really just so taken aback by how when we were all together, the four of us, especially the initial four, 
mm-hmm. Cliff Curtis, Alicia Debnam Carey, Frank and myself, we, I just felt like we were this little perfect band of misfits mm. that fit together as this patchwork family. And, you know, we've all, we're all professionals and we've just been doing it and we just sort of simply do the work. And so we just sort of connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I remember I saw you though, Kim, before I remember what, yeah, watching Gone Girl and seeing you in Gone Girls before. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking at the time, like, fuck that woman's like nuts like really incredible so i remember when i did find out that it was you because i think i tested with someone else i was so yeah very very happy and i remember just always we were quite easy it was quite easy wasn't it just a natural yeah yeah connection yeah and then we look at this you said you were looking at it the other day the show and you thought wow we kind of all look alike (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if that's just happened because we've been together so much yeah not to name names, no, but, but is that connection always natural? Do you do you, have you had situations where it's hard to get to that place? Not on this show, obviously. I certainly have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Difficult to, you know, love and and uh, family and like these are difficult things to play. I, I often feel very abused when I have to do a love scene or a, a, some sort of because I feel like, you know, this is sacred. This is like my this is my soul. I don't want to like be doing this just someone else. But I never felt that with Kim. Actually, I was always very. Well, we don't have love scenes, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert. We have, alert. Scenes. <laughs> we have sort of love scenes. But we do have so, love you know, scenes. We have very loving stuff, scenes. Yeah. yeah. It's true. And it's a very did, open-hearted... Did, yeah, you know, and that is yeah. difficult if you don't love the person as I do love yeah, you very much. I love you too. Oh, I love you too, Coleman. I love you too. <laughs> they, they, they've assembled a, a really uh, generous group of people, I think. Mm. I think, honestly, I feel like possibly the most generous group that I've worked with in a long time. Uh, people who really care about showing up for one another. So that's that's great. So anytime, so it, it'll stick out if somebody comes in, like say a guest star comes in and they're not giving. <laughs> You're like, you really stand up. This is not that show. This is a show. You come in and you, hey, what can I give to you? Yeah. You know, don't come in and think. Just what can do. I carry? <laughs> exactly. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Critics talk a lot about, chemistry about actors having chemistry or you know in various senses you know family chemistry or romantic chemistry or whatever is that a thing you can develop or is that a thing that just happens like is there a way for actors to build chemistry organically or or do you just immediately feel it like i've always sort of wondered that i think you can work on it i mean Mm. i think if it's not i mean some people just aren't when you're in portraying intimate relationships you have to be able to touch each other Mm. and sometimes you you that can be a scary thing at first if you don't feel comfortable with the person. So you you sometimes have to get yourself to a place where. But I don't really know how to talk about it. I mean, no, I don't know. I I remember this. I'm just thinking about this immediately. It made me think of this one situation. I was doing a production of an Alpha Fugar play, and me and this one actor. Well, it's very well known now because it's just <laughs> in the media. But <laughs> me and this one actor, we just didn't we didn't get along, mm-hmm. and we were playing brothers. The whole uh, genesis of relationship was really that we were at odds with each other. Mm. And I thought, well, maybe that was what they were trying to do. Mm. We have very different ways of working. And we just, at some point, our director, he was so frustrated with us. He was like, you know, what's going on? You t- you don't trust each other. I can tell you don't trust. And we both were silent. We're like, we don't. Mm. I know we tried to work at it. We tried it, but we were, we were just, we were, it wasn't happening. But, yeah. um, but I think, I think some, in some way it created some great theater because, that's the thing. I think actors are yeah. sl- quite slow. I think we're quite stupid as, as to what, as to what, like, actually, I've seen actors' characters, like, 
fuck with them, mess with them. Really sorry, man. Mm-hmm. No, go for it. You, you know, yeah. So like, really screw them mm-hmm. over that they think that they're acting as like themselves, but actually they don't realize their character is slowly infecting them to the exactly where, mm-hmm. where, where the kind of um, mm. things that they need to feel for that person. So I often maybe that's I'm it. always curious of that. That actually, it's your character fucking with you. Yeah. And that actually, that's exactly where the relationship needs to it, be. It made so much sense. It actually yeah. made, when I look back at now, I'm like, yeah, it was yeah, actually yeah, good that we exactly didn't really right, get along. Yeah. That was the nature right. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like working with these guys, I mean, like we just, we naturally just all fall into place with each other and trust each other a lot. And we, yeah. I mean, we could be completely off the rails silly in one second and then completely drop in, in, in with a full emotional life with each other. Mm-hmm. That, that, and I think that takes a lot of trust, mm-hmm. you know? This is a, a show that has a, a, let's say a rabid following. There are people who <laughs> rabbit really follow rabbits. <laughs> rabbits love our show. It's interesting you say that because we're trying to appeal to the rabbits. All of our marketing is for the rabbits. There are, there exactly. are people who are who are very very into this show, into this franchise. Uh, stepping into something like this, where you know all people knew was it's the Walking Dead spinoff. What was that experience like to go from oh I'm just you know I'm just an actor I'm just a person and then suddenly you are on the spinoff of like the biggest show in the world. When I got the job, you know, I, I understood the strong fan base that The Walking Dead had and everything. And but I just approached it like every other job, like, oh, this is this is great, and, and it's going to be challenging. It's all these things, and then we get in and we shoot it, and we just break it down moment to moment. You do it, you do it, you start doing the press, and then I didn't really get polluted by that mm-hmm. um, until it was the week where we were going to air the first episode. And then all of a sudden, because I'm a pretty relaxed person, but all of a sudden I started having pe- heart palpitations, <laughs> and I didn't know what it was from. Mm-hmm. You know, I really didn't. And I, and then I thought, oh gosh, maybe it's because the show's premiering, and there is pressure on that. You know, we have a lot of eyes on us. And I texted our showrunner Dave, and I said, I'm having heart palpitations. Perhaps it's the premiere. He said, I'm having heart palpitations too, but I think mine's a heart attack. (laughs) It just grips you. You can't can't escape the fact that there are a lot of eyes and a lot of pressure and but then you just go with it, you know? Yeah. It's interesting that you you sort of say that because when I when I was on set there were um all these people watching. Just you were you were filming inside a hotel, but there were people standing outside the hotel at a healthy distance from it, but just like watching to see if they'd see anything. There were like local news cameras there. Do you have that sort of atmosphere on set often and does it get to you or are you able to tune it out pretty well? These days we kind of tune it out, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like we're just we're doing our work. We're alienated yeah. where, yeah, we're like, where we are. It's pretty. Not many, there's not much there. It's just like a dirt road with a yeah. with a couple of hotels on the side. So. Mm. It's like after all you sort of understand too that like, you know, if people are, I don't, I don't know, I, th- I don't think this, that even comes to our consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. We're just doing our work. Well, we're also, it's, it is very isolated there where we're, yeah. I mean, when we were at a different hotel that was more central in the city and populated, sometimes you'd have fans that would come outside and they'd start to show up a little bit, you know, which mostly it was just like a surprise because we have been so, you know, off the beaten course. Mm-hmm. Although Alicia, I think, gets the, Oh, gets yeah. the rough of it. Like, yeah, at least she's got some crazy. She's fans. got some rabbit, yeah. rabbit. What was it in rabbit Mexico fans. City? They found out where. Yeah, she got some. Oh yeah, they rabbits. found out where we were staying in Mexico City earlier this week because um, of the, the carpet. carpet. They mm-hmm. fa- they saw a photo and they saw the carpet and put it together. They were at the W Hotel. It's amazing. <laughs> and so they it's came. Like there? The passion. Yeah. They came there. But you know what's so beautiful is that they're all such, especially Alicia's fans. They're all like maybe thirteen to sixteen year old mm-hmm. girls and boys who are just so passionate about more girls, right? more girls too. Yeah, they're just passionate about you know who she, who she is and what she represented and like whether it's the one hundred or you know I think she's 
I love the fact that she's going to be a voice for such a generation. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think just the way Alicia's just an awesome girl. And mm. she's a great one to to, ha- to have that on her shoulder. She's yeah, such a I'm great, like, I, I smart would, young yeah, woman. Look up to her. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a show that really represents a lot of um, a lot of different generations. It's a family show. Obviously, so you have parents and children, but also you have, you know, you have like Dayton Callie, who's mm-hmm. this esteemed character actor who's been working for a long time. But then you have folks like Frank and Alicia who are, you know, pretty early in their careers. What what does that vibe bring to a show to have people who've had very uh, different levels of experience, different kinds of experience, uh, different kinds of processes even? Hmm. Well, as a, as, well, I'm not that young, but as like a... a <laughs> an actor uh, I like you know it's great like Dayton's great it's good to just watch people everyone has a different way of doing it so you can learn a lot if you just you know watch everyone do their thing I certainly learned a lot from Dayton how to be I'm uh, completely unprepared for anything <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> Joe Dayton I'm joking <laughs> we love Dayton <laughs> you're so terrible obviously <laughs> I have a history so prepared. I have a history with Dayton Kelly yes, yes, right you do. when we did storyline on Deadwood together and 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 he's become a dear friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And so I was very excited. And, and Dave Erickson, our showrunner, worked with him on Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. So it was really a, such a smart idea to bring him in. And we play completely different characters than our characters in Deadwood. And we're back together. But I, I remember telling Frank, I was like, you know what? You're going to love Dayton. And I mean, they couldn't be more different, really. But and you did, right? I love Dayton. Yeah. Love, we love him, and he and he's just he's an like, incredible actor. And he's been incredible given actor. so much beautiful dialogue, like <laughs> just really dense dialogue, and he and he stumbles through it, you know. But, and then, to be fair, he has like pages he has a and pages. Lot. pages. He has a lot, and so we all get a lot of mileage off of that laughing and you know, teasing him and stuff. But boy, when everything he does is yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Kim, I'm I'm glad you. Uh, Brought up Deadwood because that is my favorite show of all time. So everyone else can like step out. No, but I, you know, you you came into that show a few episodes in, mm-hmm. uh, and Coleman came into this show a few episodes in. And what is that vibe like when, you know, the rest of the cast has been there, but they're not yet completely solidified, and yet here you come and you're going to be this important new character who's going to be a part of the show going forward. Um, that was sort of the first time I'd experienced that, but um. Everyone was very welcoming to me. I'd already worked with David Milch on a on another series before that and CBS called Big Apple. But, you know, I, I find that that's what happens on every show now. It's around that third episode that the new characters sort of feed in that are mm-hmm. going to fill it out and finish it off. You know, mm-hmm. you, you invariably you need more, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It also feels a little weird, too. You, I remember coming into Vancouver and—, and it was already, I guess you were already four episodes in, and mm-hmm. I just felt like, you know, such a newcomer, and I didn't want to mess up. <laughs> you know, oh, my God. It's I'm, impossible. I'm, I didn't want to mess up. And it's like, you know, all of a sudden, and then I looked completely different than anyone else, not only because, you know, I'm gorgeous, but <laughs> or, or black. <laughs> no, 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 Plus, no. you're wearing Armani no, suit. I'm wearing, I'm wearing, I'm wearing, I'm wearing like an Armani suit or something, and I'm like, and everywhere, I'm like, you know, and I didn't read the first four or anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that, so I feel like I was in my own universe coming into this, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what am I dealing with right now? And I'm dealing with this kid in a cell, and but I felt like I was in my own universe. It was strange. Yeah. <laughs> no one was dressed like me, so you kind of felt like, am I doing the right thing? 
is yeah, wrong. <laughs> we all met him too at the table read. We all mm-hmm. nobody'd met him before, and he was at the table read, and he'd already been shooting with Frank. That's who his storyline started with Frank only. And he was in this gorgeous suit, and he's this tall, gorgeous man with this velvet voice, and he uh, had all this material to read at the table read on his first introduction to us, and he was, and he was just amazing and mesmerizing, and and we were all like. Our jaws hanging open, and Frank said, "He's mine." <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, Coleman, uh, you've, you've done a lot of work on on stage. Yeah. Uh, you've been in a number of really great musicals: um, Scott's Pearl Boys, Passing Strange. You, you were Billy Flynn in Chicago, which I'm sad I missed because that sounds like it was amazing. <laughs> There is a real musicality to Strand. Yeah. And I'm wondering, how do you bring that theatricality, that sort of, what do you think that theatrical background brings to this character in particular? I think that's generally the way I approached Strand from the very beginning. I think uh, his opening monologue, I'd never read a monologue like that ever for a television audition. So I thought that even when I read it, I thought, this is so good. And I thought, and I thought just the way it was written, he had a sense of theatricality to him. And Mm -hmm. then... When I talked to Dave Erickson, I was like, yeah, he's a he's a self-made man. And I thought, oh, yeah, even the way he speaks and even um, where where I place his voice, all of that is just like it's all manufactured. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all like, okay, he built himself to be this way to represent himself out in the world. So I think that that does make sense. And I love that they write towards those um, moments of the things that I'm interested in about language and how it can how he can use it. And that it's still Strand's uh, greatest gift, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, the other day we were standing around on, on set and I realized that Strand didn't have a weapon. Everyone else was strapped up. And I thought, okay, they're still, in my mind, I think, oh, okay, it's still about what he can do with his language, which mm. is very theatrical as well. Mm. So I love the fact that he has a little a little edge in that way with the way he sits, the way he moves. And that's been sort of deconstructed a bit and fallen away. Mm. And I think that we were making some conscious decisions you know, there's a scene I've seen in the promos. I wanted to make the choice that he's, he, even when he's screaming for his life, that he's lost all of that, that he's lost all the stuff that he's built theatrically. Mm. And now he's just his raw self. And now hopefully we're building that back up again. Mm. Yeah. So mm. I think I tr- we try to play with all that. And so I think that hopefully my stage work and anything I do with theater does, it's prepared me for this work. It's it's long, grueling work and and sometimes repetitive, and I feel like that that I, I've learned that you know just with rehearsal and stamina, eight shows a week and things like that. And I think that's been helpful for me, mm. you know, especially for this sort of a show. Mm. Yeah, the other characters are a family, and they sort of know each other's secrets to some degree. Strand is a mystery to everybody mm. else. Did you, when you went into that character, did you want to know anything, or did you just did you I did, to play the mystery of it? Uh, you know, I I, I wasn't given much. I was just given that he was a self-made man. Here's the script. Here's the language. I remember I had a question about Abigail because I, I would talk about uh, Abigail, mm-hmm. and I would say, "Who's Abigail?" And at that point, Dave said he was a little glib about it, but I remember he saying something like, "Abigail was either my daughter or my wife." Mm-hmm. And my wife was on the boat or something like that. And then that changed between um, season one and season two. So it's a lot that you don't know. And so I think I actually realized that that's become something I've been more interested in. Before, mm-hmm. it terrified me because, you know, actors want to know everything. I want to know where I'm going, where I've been, what my backstory is, all that stuff. And I think that all we get is moment to moment. Mm-hmm. And it's actually strong for this show, I think, for us to have a little mystery. I don't know exactly where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Certain things you need, of course, to help. You're like, okay, I need this right now. So I'll ask for something like, who is this? What is that relationship about? Because I, I, all this backstory that I have with one character that was just introduced. 
and I needed to know a little bit more. But I don't want to know everything these days. I think it's only it's stronger to play moment to moment, at least for me. I agree. I, I don't mind playing moment to moment. I think, you know, it, it's the nature of television and the way scripts come out. And it's, it, you know, these characters unfold in a nuanced way over a long, you know, lengthy amount of time. And you just have to sort of trust that. And I think yeah. sometimes people want to control it and say, oh, well, I would have played this differently back then if I'd known this here. But People but are contradictory. People they, they are wouldn't. so contradictory. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and and I think it's, you just have to be okay. You just have to lift up your skirt and jump, you know? Mm-hmm. You've just got to be okay with that. <laughs> you know that. No, I just <laughs> lift up your skirt. <laughs> <laughs> Someone woke He always brings up the moment. Lift up, your skirt. lift up your skirt. <laughs> One of my favorite rituals is a good shave. I love the softness of the brush and the smoothness of the cream and then getting all that extra facial hair off. It's just one of those rituals I really like. And I I think that shaving is often the secret of being a well-groomed guy. And the art of shaving, founded in New York in 1996, has been helping guys look their best for over 20 years. The Art of Shaving has your total routine covered, whether shaving, beard maintenance, hair, skin, body, or fragrance. The Art of Shaving's award-winning products are formulated with the highest quality botanical ingredients featuring pure essential oils. The four elements of the perfect shave have been created to deliver smooth results every day. Start by prepping skin with their signature pre-shave oil, then create a thick foamy lather with shaving cream applied with a shave brush. Shave, then replenish moisture with their aftershave balm. Finish off the perfect shave with one of their five fragrances, sandalwood and cypress, oud suede, vetiver citron, green lavender, and coriander and cardamom. Each cologne has been carefully assembled for a distinctive scent. The Art of Shaving offers a convenient replacement service that allows you to save on your favorite products while never having to worry. Now, our listeners will receive 15% off their first order and free shipping by using the promo code TODD, T-O-D-D, two Ds in my name. To get this offer, go online to theartofshaving.com. Use my special promo code TODD to get 15% off your first order and free shipping. Visit theartofshaving.com for this special offer or for a consultation with a grooming expert, step into one of their many retail locations near you. Uh, Frank, Frank, there are several episodes. Well, there's one episode I'm thinking of in particular where you're basically alone, barely any dialogue. It's a very physical episode. And I'm wondering how you approach the physical aspects of this performance of this character, of of creating this like this guy who's um, lost everything but also sort of gained everything. Well, physical. I, I like physicality very much as like a thing. I, I like to do that. I mean, in the beginning, this Nick's, I, I thought it'd be interesting to sort of do something slightly ironic with the the shut like the because I was walking I remember doing when I came out to LA and I'd walk around a lot and like sit there you know just sit around with people or whatever or junkies and that sort of stuff and they all had very particular zombie-esque sort of everything I mean it was the closest you could come to zombies a lot of them without being a zombie Mm. so you know and I mean heroin is is a sort of it is a like a death drug that you're dying and living constantly. Your cells are dying and your skin is dying, but you're also always craving for the like the light of life or whatever. I don't. I love a limp. If mm-hmm. I can limp or like you know lope around or like do something that mirrors something, I think that's quite an interesting thing to do. It's mm-hmm. and I, yeah. Right, so I don't know. I, I do like physical physical. I'm not great. I don't really like action stuff. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I tried to I tried to get this thing in there very early on that Nick had like a twitch, which would be you see I can't show it on radio, but that he's pulling his skin all the time, mm-hmm. so that he's always like pulling at his neck skin or his th- mm-hmm. skin to like show that like pinch yourself to see if you're still alive, you know, mm-hmm. you still. But so if you can, if I can add any of these little details in, that's I always enjoy that personally because mm. I just think that's kind of fun. But Do you have, obviously you all have different processes, but do you think they sort of inform each other? I know some actors like to start from the physical out and some people like to really study the script and things like that. And I'm wondering how your different processes sort of inform each other's work. I so have no idea about my process yet. I'm so far gone from beginning to understand my process. Mm. The moment I'm just still trying to do the American accent. That's I think like it, I think it varies for every job I do, how, mm-hmm. my way in. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. varies, and it just happens sort of organically, the window into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were some, what are, would have been some different windows on, on, say, like Deadwood or like this? Well, I mean, obviously with like Deadwood, you have that costume, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that David Milch is notorious for casting just the person he wants to work with because you work with him so... Throughout the day with the director, he's there and he tells you ways, lots of subtext of how to play these scenes. And, and you know, you don't you go in not really knowing what it is. Mm-hmm. And he likes it that way. And so a lot of it was with the costume. And Janie Bryant and I worked together. And my character had all these stripes. And, and then in the end, my character, she's a madam, but, but then she had a top hat. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was something really tricky about her. And that was sort of a fun way in was through that costume. It really put a stamp on her. Mm-hmm. I mean, that maybe not anything that comes out in the character, but there is that bit of con that's mm-hmm. in her, you know, the mm-hmm. trickster. But, you know, like Gone Girl, it was just, I, I simply found, it was so well written by Gillian Flynn that I just, the dialogue was right there. It was from where I'm from. Mm-hmm. I knew her. I just knew her. I didn't even want to go on the audition because I thought I wouldn't get it. And I did, only had one day off and it was an 18-page audition. And mm-hmm. I thought, I'm not going to get it. It's David Fincher. And I read it. And I was like, well, I know that character, you know. So, mm-hmm. I, so I went for it. But, but that character was right in the walk. Mm-hmm. I felt like I went in through the walk. Mm-hmm. Very casual. Interesting, interesting. When I was a younger actor, I would always do a lot of different process. I would fast. I would put my feet into the dirt and all this other stuff. And, you know, I would draw big collages and things. That when I would play Mercutio and figure it out and physicalize and, and know all this stuff, what's my sign and all this stuff, the way I breathe, <laughs> the way I move, all that. I, I didn't know everything and come in with all this detail stuff. And I feel like as I've gotten older, I feel like I just, I really rely more on the script. I just rely, mm-hmm. and I find out, you know, I just detail the script. You know, what do they know about me? What are they saying about me? What am I saying about myself? Mm-hmm. All this detail here. And then it's like, I've, I've been allowing more of a collaboration in terms of like, okay, now let me see what the costume designer is like putting on. All of that stuff will help inform and sort of like gestate, you know, it will all come together until you form something that you feel like, hopefully you feel like you're forming something that is not even singularly yours. It's mm-hmm. like, it's a combination of, of many people. And now it just lives through you, which is why I feel like I was in the costume department the other day, really just haggling over a shirt. And I'm not, I've never been that person, but I was haggling because it was very important. I was like, no, we've began this journey this way. And now that we're showing the uh, chronicalizing a character, I'm like, I have a very strong opinion now about why I'm wearing that shirt and why that color is not right for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, because I'm, I'm like, usually you can throw anything on me, but I'm like, now I'm becoming more specific because I'm like, it doesn't help make sense of where I am emotionally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Kim, I do have to ask, uh, there have been rumors all around about scripts for Deadwood movies perhaps circulating. 
uh, heard, we've heard different answers from different people. Do you know if any exist and have you gotten to see them? I read it. You read it? Mm-hmm. What did you think? Well, I loved it. <laughs> and I brought tears to my eyes just to read, just to hear those voices again, mm. you know, so perfectly. And and it was funny mm. at times and sad and painful and beautiful, mm. really beautiful. And I think, you know, from what I read, I mean, David sent it to me to read. And um, from what I read online, I think Ian McShane, you know, put it out in the press and he said it had been delivered to HBO. So it's in their hands now. Mm-hmm. Great, great. This is a show that is set on the Mexican-American border, obviously in the future. Uh, Not in the future, but obviously in an alternate reality where, you know, society has crumbled. But it certainly is airing at a time when that question of the border is very much on everyone's minds. And I'm wondering how that has informed the show and how it's informed, you know, just working in that arena. You alluded to it a little bit earlier, but it certainly is – it's become a fraught place – in the American landscape right now. I'm wondering how your thoughts on that have changed from working there, on that political issue of change from working on the show. I'll just kick it off by saying, I think that we've really become like ambassadors for Mexico in many ways. (laughs) Ambassadors for the margarita. For the margarita. You always hear all these overblown things about Mexico. I would even say that we had a security uh, person on our, uh, before we were going there, sort of really, scare the living daylights out of us uh, about just doing the most simplest things, going Mm -hmm. to the ATM or whatever. And not that any of that is like, you know, unfounded in some way, but I think that there's so many overblown thoughts about, first of all, safety in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And then it it puts up all these other barriers and you're thinking about about the people a certain way and about every single situation you're you're filtering through this whole thing of not not feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And when I tell you, I think I can speak for all of us that we feel all of that was just uh, way overblown because mm-hmm. it's like people are people, neighborhoods are neighborhoods, mm-hmm. crime is crime in anywhere. You got to be careful going to ATM anywhere. Anywhere. So it's like, it's like, and you realize you're like, we want to tell you we've had the most joyous time working there mm-hmm. and really understanding what culture is like in Mexico of uh, families. And I think that we're, I think it's very delicate we're dealing with the situation of this border when there's no border, mm-hmm. you know, in our show, which is very exciting mm-hmm. because once again, you, you start thinking about, well, who are we? as a civilization and what unites us. The things that used to separate us don't separate us anymore because it's just about need and just like saying everyone wants to take care of their family. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to have a future um, and have some security. Mm. And that's just what we all want yeah. in our humanity. What do you mm. think, Ken? Well, I, I think our show's certainly not making a political statement, but I think what it reflects is what's in the hearts and minds of our Writers and showrunners and that you sort of, you write what you know, what your fears are, what you know. And I think that really resonates with us as actors when we read it and it, and it resonates as something pertinent and something that we deal with on a daily basis. The fears that we have, our anxieties, mm. whether or not we're all still going to be protected in the same way by our government or whether it's okay to work in Mexico when we want to work in Mexico. So those things are, are, are relevant now. And I think, you know, that's what artists do. You know, mm. you reflect the times and that's what that's what our show's doing, it seems. I had an idea that what we should do is have a, a massive wall of dead people in mm. on the border. So build a massive border wall of, like, corpses so that all the dead couldn't get beyond the border wall because they'd come to the wall and it would just smell of dead people. So that it would mean everyone, all the dead would be contained in, in one country, mm. be it Mexico or America. That's it's really smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't I'm going to go with yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know that. Look, when the world ends, 
it's not going to be as black and white as this, literally. Mm -hmm. All I know is where we're staying is poor. I mean, poor, like it's poverty. Tijuana mm -hmm. is poverty. Mm -hmm. And you cross the border and you're in San Diego and it's luxury. Mm -hmm. Like that in a second. So I do feel like an advocate of Mexican culture mm -hmm. because they are being fucked mm. over there. Definitely. Mm. Badly, badly. You mentioned When the World Ends, uh, and this is a show set in the post-apocalypse. I'm wondering, uh, do you three fear the end of the world? Do you expect the end of the world? Or do, do you just sort of... You, we're not living in it now? Yeah. It seems like it's ending. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a long burn. It's a burn. slow burn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it's true. It's ending now. Yeah, this is ending. it. This is it. Like, but, we, you know, it's I not mean, us that we got to be worried about. It's like... All I can think about is, listen, I can't think about the end of the world. I just think about how, how, I think especially now, all we can think about is how we take care of one another. Mm -hmm. But um, we're not doing that. So No, 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 no. I mean, I think we can't rely on, you know, larger powers to be. I think we take care of ourselves. Still. Take care of ourselves, but, but we take care of each other do. too. Yeah, like I, I need to look out for you. You look out for me. But we've mm -hmm. already got enough money and enough, like, we're fine. But the, what, like, we, we need to look out for the homeless guy on the street. Absolutely. Right? And I'm not saying that, I That's do. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, that we have to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Because well. when the world ends, they're going to be the ones who are like more well apt to like dealing with all this shit. It's so complicated. I'm from inner city West Philly. I yeah, could take care of myself yeah, if yeah. the world ends. Yeah. I'm from fucking Sussex. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from I Alabama. No Alabama. So I get you got three. Country, you got your country. We got three survivors. Right here. Exactly. <laughs> this question's going to have a spoiler inherent to it. So if you haven't watched the first few of season three, please skip ahead a little bit, but I'm, I'm even going to not put the spoiler in the question so that you have time to skip. There's a big thing that happens toward the start of episode two of this season, and I'm wondering how you were told about that, how that conversation came about, and what playing out some of those scenes was like. So again, spoilers coming. Please skip ahead. I received a phone call from our showrunner a few weeks before going into production, production on this season three to tell me, so I was pretty bummed. Hmm. You know, but you know, we're actors. That's what oh. we do. Mm. We we come and we go. We move on, and, and it's part. It's the nature of this gig as well. And it's it's a makes for amazing storytelling and and things like that. So I think you feel the whole as a as a company. Still, mm -hmm. you feel like we really have. I mean, we're all away from home, mm -hmm. and we become a family. And it does it does rip a hole out. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it rip and it ripples throughout. Yeah, through all it really of us. Yeah. affected all of us. Mm. Yeah, right. We're kind of coming into the end of the show, but one of the things that has always been true of zombie stories is that the zombies are always a metaphor for something else. And I'm wondering in your own heads, what does the idea of the dead returning to life, uh, walking the earth, what does that represent? What does that symbolize for you when you think about that idea? Hmm. I think it's a slightly pornographic idea that perhaps it's going to be this easy. Mm -hmm. That oh, the dead, it's like the world ended. Now the dead have risen. Mm -hmm. We know who the bad guys are. We know who the good guys are. It had nothing to do with us. Mm -hmm. Let's just fucking get on, like, like get on with surviving. And it sort of is devoid from any responsibility then. Mm -hmm. If the dead rise, it's like a fantastical idea. It's like a fantastical way that the apocalypse would come about. I don't think when the end of the world comes, it is going to be this easy, you know? Mm -hmm. So I also think it's just something like we've got it in our zeitgeist at the moment that, mm -hmm. like, you know, we are all a little bit dead. Like I said, you walk around, you see zombies. I saw a zombie yesterday. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. happening. It's happening. So it's like, it's, it's, it's speaking to something in us that we understand we are living in an illusion. 
We are slightly dead inside. We are mm. devoid from any survival instincts. We we're all infected. We're all mm. in. We are the disease yeah. as well. We know we're the disease, but we haven't got any further than to the cure. So we're still wallowing around in the idea that it's just like, ah, fuck it. We'll just carry on. You know what I mean? And isn't it interesting? It's always the big question that people are wondering and they were looking towards our show to find out how did this happen? Uh, mm-hmm. They really want to know how did this happen? Uh, <laughs> but actually that's not the point. No, no, no. The point is that it's already been, ha- it's been how happening for manage? a long time. Yeah, and how do you happening. manage? Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I always end the show by asking my guests some of the same questions. So I'm going to ask each of you one of my standard set of questions and, and, we'll, and we'll see what you say. Uh, and Kim, I'll start with you. What is like the last pop culture thing can be a movie, TV show, book, song, something like that, that you have watched or read or listened to? And and what did you think of it? I don't know. I've been working so much. I watched (laughs) Big Little Lies and I loved it on HBO. Yeah. I've been, I listened to uh, the serial podcast, uh, Shit Down. Mm -hmm. I listened to that. I'm from Alabama. Well, so what did you think of that being from I've, Alabama? I've, you know, I couldn't turn it off. Mm-hmm. It was on my drive, so I listened to the first three. It's a three-hour drive back to work, and and I listened to the first three. And I don't know what something happens at the end of the first at the third one, mm-hmm. and I just roamed around my hotel room after that, like just depressed. Like mm-hmm. I was so moved by that. Excellent, Frank. Who is the actor you have learned the most from that you've never met? I'm really embarrassed. <laughs> I'm totally scared. <laughs> <laughs> actor that I've learned the most from but never met. Yeah. Oh well, I mean, probably Brando, right? I mean, he sort of redefined film acting. Mm. Probably Marlon. What do you What do you pull from him still? In television, we have to move so fast, and there's real musicality to stuff, mm-hmm. so we have to kind of keep going. Mm. I think Brando like slowed everyone down a bit. Mm-hmm. I think he like slowed it all down and like sort of something about pace. His pacing was different to everyone else's. It's mm. like he was on a different. I mean, uh, yeah, that's just as an actor. Coleman, what is a role you would love to play that you haven't gotten to play yet, even if it's just like a type of character or if like a very specific, like you've always wanted to play King Lear or something like that? That's always such a tough question. Mm-hmm. I, you know, because I, I think that, and it's going to sound so cheesy, I think it hasn't been written yet. Mm. I like the idea of um, new work, new, a character that I, I think that we have barely imagine yet Mm. the work that i've been able to do in the theater as well as on television and film i've been so blessed with Mm -hmm. because they're always complicated people who um go out on a limb i'm very interested in i'm 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 a character actor and i love like when i did a musical called passing strange where i played a german performance artist and a dutch nudist and a closet choir director in one show i live for things like that where i can really transform in, in front of someone's eyes with just movement and, and voice and, and full embodiment. So I look forward to things like that. And then looking forward to someone, you know, writing something that only, honestly, when, when I read the script for Passing Strange, I thought it, it sounds egotistical, but I felt like I'm the only actor who can do that one. Mm. I think I, you look when you know, you're like, oh, no, I have all of those things and I'm willing to put myself in the line to transform in that way uh, without any apology or um, and I, with a sense of danger. I've always said, if you if you want an actor who's going to go out on a limb, call me. Mm. I'm not the one who's just going to dial in some very simple, <laughs> tepid performance, uh, unfortunately. Mm. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so hopefully, you know, there's, someone's out there writing it right now. So I think for me, it's like something new and interesting. Great. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Fear the Walking Dead airs Sundays on AMC. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. 
I Think You're Interesting is hosted and executive produced by Todd Vanderwerf. In case you hadn't guessed, that's me. And if you like closing credits, you are going to just love what's about to happen. Vox Podcasting is headed up by Marty Mo and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishak Kurwa. Our sound designer is Miles Ewell. Our logo design is thanks to Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Ulrich. Our production coordinator is Paige Bethman. Our audio engineering and post-production is thanks to P3 Post. We recorded this week in the wonderful Village Workspaces podcast studio in Santa Monica, California. This episode was edited by Peter Leonard, and our recording engineer was Che Brooks. We'll be back next week with another figure from the world of arts and entertainment, somebody who I think is interesting. But until then, if the zombie apocalypse happens, make sure your phone's charged so you can listen to this episode as you're running from the living dead coming to consume you whole. The last thing you hear will be my voice. Bye. Bye.